When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, James. Uh, it is a big addition of the podcast. It's always a big addition of the podcast, right? Huh? I don't know. What's big about this one? I didn't know it was a big addition. You didn't tell me. I wasn't able to get ready for this. Well, it's almost the end of January. It's uh, It snowed like crazy in Toronto uh, yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday. Do you love a good snowstorm? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> once, once you become a homeowner, it's like... And you, and you have kids. It's like, can I drive in this? How much do I have to shovel? <laughs> the, the magic of the snow is gone. Fair enough. Okay. Well, we have a lot to talk about, so that's why it is a big show. Uh, we're going to talk about Ilya Samsonov. Samsonov, I don't know why I keep going back and forth on that. Uh, we'll talk about your boy, Timothy Lilgren. Had a big game, obviously, uh, against the Rangers. We need to get to the defense trade targets that we, you know, touched on a little bit last week i think uh we touched on the forwards i think we need to get to some of the d uh we'll talk about matthews and marner getting back together we'll get to the pod bag am i missing anything Uh, well you got the goalies the d and the forwards so i think we're (laughs) i think we got the whole roster there should we talk about like the development staff the front office the coaching staff how about those marley's eh? look at they're red hot they're like second second or third in the ahl so yeah, uh, yeah. Everything's coming up Millhouse right now for the organization, and the All Star break is almost here. Uh, Marner and Matthews obviously will go to that, uh, but that's not where we're going to start. The All Star game, by the way, like it's just crazy how they awesome they still haven't. Not even like, yeah, that's exactly it. It's just weird that they still haven't figured out. Like, let's just if we're the league, just send the best players and like not try to you get know, someone from every team. I don't know. It's funny, even like from a media perspective, like we don't even in our NHL group, we don't even send that many people to cover it because the last one I was at was San Jose and it, it's just, it's such a, I don't know, there's just not a lot of value in going. So I think we have three people going, but then you look at like some of the other all-star games, like correct me if I'm wrong, like the NBA all-star games, like more interesting. And like, I, I know our, our NBA group tends to have a lot more writers go and it's just like, it's just like a weekend that matters more in other sports. Well, and because they don't do it uh, in terms of like putting people in, like the league doesn't do it exactly that way. It has more value. Like if you get voted into the All-Star game, like it carries weight. Like you've been, player X has been to this many All-Star games and in the NHL, just, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Let's not gripe. It's January. It's a time to renew and be positive and optimistic. So anyway, let's talk about uh, Samsonov. He just, Will not lose in regulation at home. Um, what do you make of this? Like, it's now he hasn't started like that many games. Like, I think it's like 21, 22 starts. Uh, but 
when you go back to the summer last summer, and and I remember being a little bit skeptical of this just because it was like they were betting on Matt Murray and then they were going to bet on uh, Samsonov. But this is kind of the good side of a bet like that is his upside was high. Uh, it's still, we still have a lot of season to go, but I don't know. This is looking pretty good so far. Yeah. He might even uh, be a candidate for the All-Star game. Huh? 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 <laughs> he's, uh, so he's got 16-4-2 record, 921 save percentage. And if you look at, I, I looked at this, re- not not since last night's game, but if you look at like the advanced goalie stats, he was top 10 in the league when I last checked. So, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he's only gone up since I last looked at it. So it's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable what he's been able to accomplish. Now, the, the criticism of Samsonov in Washington was that he would, he would get off to a good start and then kind of fade as the workload picked up. So it's interesting that they've been testing him here now with it's four starts in a row he's had, right? Like they've yep. been playing him, they've been playing him more to see if he continues to win. And I, I, I like that strategy. He's looked so good. Like, why not see if he ends up being the guy that you, that you start to ride? Uh, I'm assuming that Matt Murray's getting in the Friday game uh, against Ottawa. Uh, and um, But it, it's interesting that there's there's been a little bit of separation now here, really for the first time, where Samson has pulled ahead of, of Matt Murray recently. Yeah, you're right. Like, that, that hadn't happened to this point where he's kind of, gotten a little bit of runway to take the lead and and you could kind of see and i think we touched on this last week that it, it felt like they were starting to be like you know maybe let's start to give matt murray uh, a few more starts and start to get him going and obviously the home th- road stuff yeah i think they wanted to it seemed like yeah. they wanted they, like you know they you get past the midway point and they wanted one guy to play more and they wanted it to be murray the guy the guy who's won before, the guy who's older, the guy with the bigger contract, the guy who's under contract next year, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's it's interesting that Samson has really stepped up to the challenge and and kind of pulled it back from him. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that about um, his starts, because I remember I wrote something earlier in the year, and I think you pointed out that one person who was a, a Capitals fan pointed out uh, basically that this is what he does. And, and anytime he has an opportunity to kind of grab hold of the starter's job, he kind of just... Drops Balters, the ball. Yeah. Drops the yeah. ball, exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see if like he can maintain this, um, where if over a month he's getting most of the starts, like if he can kind of keep this up. Like he's at right now his these are his numbers. He's sixteen, four and two. Obviously, I think he what is it, fourteen, oh and one at home. Uh nine twenty one save percentage. He's he is sixth in the league in save percentage. And you mentioned some of those underlying stats. He's like right near the top. Uh, mm-hmm. And like goals saved above expected. Um, and I guess like James, like when you think back to like what his, I remember we talked about this, just his upside because like he was a first round pick and he was like a very highly touted goalie. Well, he's, he's super not old, athletic. Right? He's like, very he, he's athletic. Got, yeah. He, he's got like really, really good tools. Like when you see him, like when he's, his desperation mode diving to make a save is, he's, it's very, very impressive. Like he's, Russia's producing a lot of good goalies right now. You know, I remember when I went over to Sweden and talked to them and they were like, oh yeah, Russia's bought like our goalie development plan. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. And you look at all the, you know, Sorokin and obviously Vasilevsky and I'm going to forget, but you know, like they, they got the... Well, I have it up kid. in front of me right now just because you talked about that. So these are some of the Russian goalies right now. Sorokin, Samsonov, Shosturkin, Vasilevsky, that guy in Carolina whose name I can't pronounce, Varlamov, Bobrovsky. Like that's, that's pretty good. And- and more coming. Like there, there's the kid in Nashville system that's playing in the AHL. There, there's some guys in the AHL. There's obviously 
there's been some high draft pick goalies recently. It's it's a thing, you know. It's a, the, the, I'd, I'd rather have Russia's goalies going into the Olympics right now than than Canada's, and maybe more than any other team. I mean, is there, there's no not really any other country that has is better equipped in goal than Russia right now, which is interesting because for the longest time, I mean, I mean, other than Tretiak, for it was always a weakness for Russia their goaltending. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good call. And now, like, they have this this aura of, like, these are the guys you want. Like, Shosturkin and Vasilevsky are, like, I don't know, if you're ranking all the goalies you'd want, are they 1-2? Well, are they uh, Probably. I mean, maybe Saros is and Hellebuck are in the mix there. But, yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah, that Vasilevsky and Shosturkin are 1-2 still right now. Does this feel at all uh, to you a little bit like what happened, I think it was two or three seasons ago with with Jack Campbell and Frederick Anderson, where Anderson is obviously at that point their guy. He's making a lot of money. Uh, he had been the guy. And then Campbell kind of comes along and starts outplaying him. And so suddenly they just start giving him starts to that. Like, I don't think we're there yet, but it feels a little bit reminiscent. Does it feel like that at all to you? Mm, I think it's different because Anderson had Yeah, I had guess he had established himself while. here. Yeah. yeah, like he, yeah. So then it was, you know, it was even more of, of a thing. I mean, I I don't think this is completely unforeseeable. I mean, we knew that no. Murray was a huge wild card this year, right? Like, I think coming into the year, these two guys were relatively on equal footing, really, other than like the contract status and, and what they had accomplished in the past. But like predicting which one was going to be the guy, I think it was probably pretty close. Yeah, because they both had had uh, pretty inconsistent years in the previous few years. And Murray had obviously more of the injury stuff. Um, but it'll be interesting to see like when he gets back in the net, say you're right. Like, I, I think you're probably right that he would start on Friday and then Murray or Samsonov would start, uh, against his old team, Washington on Sunday night. Um, but I'm curious to see how that goes. I'm curious to see how he kind of rebounds because one thing we've seen from Matt Murray this year, and I think it's like testament or credit to him is he hasn't really had long dips. Like when he's had a bad start, he's kind of rebounded and he's had back to back starts where he's not been great. And now the other guy has kind of taken the net. So I'm curious to see how he responds to that. And like, I mean, you wonder how long this can keep up with, with Samsonov, right? Let me, I mean, you've been around the team quite a bit lately. Like what, maybe you can give us a peek behind the curtain. Like what's kind of the vibe been with, with the two goalies? And like, it seems like it, to me, it seems like really like positive. Like there's like a, between the two guys and among the, the team and the goalies, it seems like a really good environment right now. I mean, yeah. it helps obviously that they're, they've played so well, but you know, sometimes it, it hasn't always been that way. Like there's, it hasn't always felt hunky dory between the goalies and, and the players and, yeah. and the organization and everything the last few years. So this is just like what I can see. He seems, uh, Samsonov like a very easy guy to like, like he doesn't, I don't like you've seen some, yeah he's kind of goofy and you've seen some of his post game stuff and his pregame or like his practice interviews like and and Josh Cloak had that great story on him in training camp if you haven't seen that go back and check that out but like he's a character so he he feels like kind of hard to to not like and Matt Murray like just watching them interact they seem to get along Um, Curtis Sanford that's another story Cloak did this week that uh, people should check out he's obviously had quite an influence on the goalie stable as a whole. Um, you remember that was kind of a big deal last summer when they let Steve Breer go and they, I think yeah. I remember Sheldon Keith talking at the draft that they interviewed like, I can't remember, it was like 10, 12 people or something. And, well, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Sanford was a bit of a surprise because he hadn't, he didn't have any experience as an NHL goalie coach. So right. it, 
not only was it a bit of a gamble for the organization going with Murray and Samsonov, it was a bit of a gamble with with Sanford as the goalie coach. Yeah. But and now, and, like, and, uh, yeah. you know, I mentioned I mentioned the Marlies. Like, you know, not only are the NHL goalies playing well, but and I don't know to what extent Sanford is to credit for this, but Joseph Wall is off to a massive, massive start coming off of injury. He's 11-1 with a 9.25 save percentage. Well, and I remember what Keith said. Uh, I think he talked about it at the draft. What he liked about Sanford is, A, like he had experience in the league, like he had been an NHL goalie, not an NHL goalie coach, and he had done a really good job in Abbotsford with some of the Canucks prospects and goalies. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the thing that, that came out in Cloak's piece is that he's just a really good communicator. Um, and like well, that position is such a weird job, right? You know, being a I asked coach. around about yeah, I asked around about Sanford because I you know I know some folks in BC and everything, and they just they said he's a really really good guy, like extremely likable, and not that Steve Briere wasn't, but no, he was a likable guy too. Good, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah nice every guy. time we saw Steve Briere, it was always like, hey guys, how's it going? And yeah, yeah but um, you know, Sanford just has a really good reputation as like a really kind of a positive kind of person and this is his big shot and i mean it's 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 hard with to know with goaltending because it can be so volatile and it can change like you know maybe the next month they'll be terrible or something and yeah but right now it you know the goalie coach deserves credit because everything's everything's going really well in that but it is interesting just to close out on the goaltending is is how much you mentioned the separation between the two of them like three weeks ago two weeks ago whatever it was they were they had basically identical stats and now you look at it I'm just looking at like their five on five numbers so Samsonov has a nine thirty two save percentage at five on five thirteen and a half goals saved above expected Matt Murray has a nine thirty I guess nine fourteen five on five save percentage one point two five goals saved above expected. So his numbers like have just kind of taken a hit as Samsonov has really taken charge. So are you thinking uh Vesna? So is what you're saying? Yeah, we so you gotta you gotta catch yourself sometimes with those. You just gotta be like I'm Me? I'm taking it too far with my puns. You need like oh. a pun <laughs> like you need like an app on your phone that's just like it just like there's like a, a alarm that goes off and it's like no this one's terrible. Delete. Yeah, well, the, the pun I, I posted during the Rangers game was Ilya Samsonov-Vesna. Yeah, see? It just rolls off the tongue. Oh, boy. Do you remember, remember yeah. Freddie Anderson? It was Vesna Anderson. Yeah, that one was okay. What was the Jack Campbell one? Was there a good one for that? I don't know. I don't, I must have had... I don't know. But there was Michael Clutchinson. Michael Clutchinson. Oh, God. <laughs> so, that was uh, pretty good, Samson- actually. Samsonov... I didn't get to use that one that much because he he wasn't clutch very frequently. So <laughs> no, he was not. Where is he these days? Is he back in the Jets? He's still in the Vegas organization, actually. I think he is. I anyway. think he might be in the AHL with Vegas. Yeah, uh, Samsonov is, uh, according to EvolvingHockey.com, is eighth in the NHL in goals saved above expected. Um, I don't think that's per game, right? So like, no, that's the only problem with that. Like, it should be almost a rate stat, just because like. Yeah, well, he's played way fewer games than other, you know. I guess yeah. Allmark's only played thirty games, but the so the other goalies ahead of him, it, it reads like the list of the best goalies in the league this year: Sorokin, mm-hmm. Saros, Hellebuck, Allmark, Ottinger, Vasilevsky, and then Shesterkin's just behind Samsonov after last night. Um. Okay. So in that game, what night was it? Wednesday night. Um. So Timothy Logan scores the game tying goal with about. 
just under five minutes left, and then he gets the assist on Mitch Marner's very pretty looking uh, OT winner. Uh, Lilligren played 22 minutes, which was third among Leafs D. He, I think he was like at 70% expected goals. Um, mm. You were defending him vociferously. Is that the right word for it? Last week, just that they couldn't trade him. And I mean, his growth, it's like you think back to last year, even two years ago when like he could barely get in the lineup and like he, it was like, why is it taking so long? Just to clarify, I wouldn't trade, I would not trade him, but I also, I would never trade him for a rental player. Like, I think if you're, if you're trading Timothy Lugren, like he's, he's basically an established NHL defenseman at this point. So you'd have to get something really, really substantial back, but I don't, I don't think they're going to trade him. I mean, he's, he's played so well, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I I think there's something interesting going on with their defense right now, obviously being without TJ Brody is they're having a, an issue kind of figuring out what to do in their top four with those pairs. Like you saw in that Islander game, both of their top pairs basically just got destroyed. So they changed the pairs and now they have Riley with Hall and that's, that's always been kind of funky and Giordano with Lilligren, uh, which has been, which has always better. worked well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what's how good Giordano and Lilligren were last year as the third pair. They were fantastic. Yeah, because you remember at that point, like things had been kind of up and down with Lilgren and he'd played a bunch with Sandine and he'd showed some, he'd had some really good moments and they got Giordano and they put him with Lilgren. It was like, boom. Um, yeah. But his emergence like this year and you think back to last year, obviously he took a step. Um, and it's funny, like a, a long time ago, not a long time ago, but there was always this conversation about like, can you find like a, a right side D and like they had drafted him in, 17 in the first round is like maybe he can be it one day and it's like now six years later almost it's starting to happen and i guess that's that remember that that randy carlisle thing about like patience with d was it randy carlisle or ron wilson it doesn't really matter but it was always like it was randy carlisle he said like 400 games or something well like, no, which is not near that yeah obviously but, but like was it 400 i want to say it was 400 games and it's yeah, like well that's something like, like that. that's like seven years or something in the nhl like you know, the way the NHL is going now at 400 games, like some guys are like being phased out of the league by that point. So maybe it so was like, 200 games. 400 seems think, like too many. I think it was 400. Uh, like been, Jake yeah. Gardner was at, Jake Gardner was at like 300 like or 280 or whatever. It's like, I, I wonder if I can, I could find it here if you can just fill some gaps. Well, maybe, I, I, maybe. it's just funny. Like if you had to guess while you're looking how many games Timothy Lilligren has played without looking, how many do you think it is? Well, you know, a lot of the young players around the league are low because of, you know, the pandemic and everything. And Yeah. So, the, the amount of games he's played uh, one is 20? 112. So, yeah. like, he really hasn't played at all. Uh, he obviously spent a long time with the Marlies. He really developed with the Marlies. He was on the Calder Cup teams. He played a big role there. And it's like, now he's 23. I think he'll be 24. Yeah, he'll be 24 in April. Um and it's just like a, I guess it's a testament to a lot of things. It's a testament to development. I remember like one of the things that, that made me skeptical of him early on is like he just was not a great skater and they really worked on his skating. And now it's like he gets around great and obviously he makes a good first pass defensively. He's become more and more trustworthy. James, now All you right. can I, take over. I found the philosophy 300 games. Okay. There you go. So he's not even close. One of Carlos' philosophies is it takes at least three hundred games. I don't think that, that I don't think that's wrong. Um, 
right? But it's like, if that's the case, then like he's a he's a ways from becoming who he's going to be, which is interesting. Yeah, um, you know he's he's going to be twenty four here in April, so I, I think Lilligren's a guy who kind of like brewed longer in the HL than some guys do, and and the pandemic yeah. was a fact was a factor in that as well. Yeah, and, the only yeah, go ahead. Being part of a team that's like got championship aspirations and is one of the better regular season teams in the league is that sometimes as a defenseman you're not getting thrown into the fire as early as on other teams. Yeah, that's true. They they could afford to kind of be patient with him. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm just looking at he played one game with the Growlers. I don't remember that. Why would he have gone to the ECHL for one game? I don't remember. But one thing I I did want to mention, James, because I was thinking uh, after our conversation last week just about the cost control, he will get to a point in not a very long time where he's going to cost a lot. Like when he becomes RFA in 24, I think he'll be a year from UFA. Is that right? Because he'll be, what would Uh, he be, 26 at that point? Yeah, but he'll be 26 at that point, I think. Right. So he'll be not far off from costing a lot, but hey, like if this trajectory continues, he'll be worth that that price, right? Well, they're gonna need the next wave here, right? Like you know, like obviously Muzzin's basically gonna be retired. Giordano's not still gonna be here in two years. Brody, who knows? Justin Hall, who knows? You know, they 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 need they need the next. You know, who's gonna be the top pair right defenseman for the Leafs in two years? Don't know. Well, so that brings us, that's a good transition and maybe we should take a break and then let's get to this, but let's talk about some of the possibilities on D and whether they even need to go get a defenseman uh, with the way Lilligren's played. They obviously will get Brody back at some point. Uh, so let's take a break and then let's get into some of those D targets and whether you think any of them make sense. All right, James, uh, before we get to the pod bag uh, in a little bit, let's talk about some of the possibilities on defense and whether you think the Leafs needed. So the argument obviously is that they need a different type of defenseman as they look ahead to the playoffs. Even with what you've seen from Lilligren, you know what they have in Brody. You, you, they, they really haven't seen what their defense looks like at all, like in in a long chunk. Um, wh- where do you sit on this this conversation now? As we're further along, we've seen Lilligren kind of take another step. Are you one way? Or the other, as far as whether they should go get someone? Well, I mean, you put together a list of some defense targets. And, you know, one of the things, you know, you had names on there, like kind of like Gudis and Labushkin. And I, I can't remember every I have single. them in front of me. We can go through them if you want. So the names, I, I only picked five because like you could, there's a million names you could pull up. Uh, Gavrikov, Gudis, Mikola in St. Louis, Andrew Peak, and Labushkin. And you could throw yeah. in like Jake McCabe. Like you could throw in, there's lots of guys. You If they wanted to get crazy and take on a bigger contract, like Connor Murphy in Chicago, I don't know that that makes sense. But where do, do you think any of that makes sense? Or do you just see their defense as it is right now and be like, that's, that's good enough? I, I think the higher priority feels like it should be to add a forward. And the cap situation may mean that it's hard to add both. Um, the thing I would say with guys it, like a Labushkin or a Gudis is like, I'm not sure who you want to take out of the lineup to play those guys. And the Leafs are probably going to be in a situation where they, after the trade deadline, they can probably only carry like a 21 player roster, maybe 22. Like if you want to maximize your cap space, you're going to have to go down to a pretty small roster. So what do you do with 
we t- and we I think we talked about this last week too, so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but it's you'd almost you'd have to move on from somebody if you're bringing someone another defenseman in, especially if it's someone you think like McCabe's got I believe two more years on his contract after this one. Yep. Yeah, he, he, he I considered him. Yeah, but like Gudis is is let's just say Gudis as an example and then we can talk about Gavrikov because I think he's really interesting. So let's say how does this sound to you? So you would do Riley Gudis, Brody Hall, and then Giordano Lilligren. That make any sense to you? Yeah, I just don't know that that makes you better than having Sandine or Timmons in your lineup. And then if you have both if you have both of them out, I don't know some like we so you're going to lose somebody. Yeah. That's that's for sure a possibility and and I mean maybe that's part of the conversation. What it comes down to James is like what we talked about last week. Do you need a heavier, meaner type of defenseman for the playoffs and and I I kind of think you you do. It's just like the other ramifications like you're pointing out are are important to consider as well, right? Like if you're going to lose, like where are you at with Rasmus Sandin right now? Like I think we entered the season and thought Sandin had, was maybe a bit ahead of Lilligren and now it's kind of reversed. I mean, I think that going into the playoffs, he's a third pair guy probably. Well, and he struggles exactly with the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like physically, sometimes he just gets pushed around and, and frankly, so does Lilligren at times as well. The interesting thing with Jake McCabe is that, I mean, he is a top four defenseman. You know, there's conversations potentially if they acquire him from Chicago, who has no designs on winning, that maybe they retain some salary and all of a sudden you're getting a top four defenseman for, I think his contract's four million right now. What if, you know, you get him for two and a half or three million because there's some retention there and all of a sudden he's a guy that, and he's a guy that can play both sides too. I mean, he's a left shot, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something that's, enticing about adding another piece that is part of the solution for you, not only this year, but but beyond. And I think bringing in someone like Gudis as a rental, who's not much better than what you've got, I, I don't really but like better, that. As a, but sorry, James, better is not the right, we're not talking about better, we're talking about I, different, right? But I think I want someone that's like more of an upgrade if, okay. if you're giving up assets and like I said, you're going to have a logjam on defense. Like you don't really want to put Timmons on waivers, right? So, um, okay. So let me ask you about and this. This guy is an upgrade. I know you like this guy. He came in number one on my list. I've watched a lot of Blue Jackets because I wanted to watch a lot of him. Is Gavrikov, and now the conversation with Gavrikov is he is highly sought after. They want mm-hmm. basically what they got for David Savard, which is a first round pick, a third round pick. He's expiring. Uh, his next contract, he's going to want a lot. He will probably want basically the kind of money that Jake Muzzin got on his last mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. Does any of it, it make sense? Like, would you pay the price for Gavrikov thinking we'll just resign this guy and pay him what we were paying Muzzin? Yeah. And there's our solution. I, yeah, I think if he's, it's interesting with him because if you look at some of like the advanced stats and analytics on him, they're not very good. Like, they, yes. they were really good like two years ago and then now they're not really good. And, I wonder how you much wonder, of that is the team, though. Like, I watch them. Yeah, like, they're playing was, them a lot. That's that's what I was going to... I mean, they're playing him in the toughest minutes, on, and it's a, a terrible team. And, I mean, he's. it's not like age is really a factor for him. He's only just turned 27 years old. So, I think that if if you're the Leafs and you see him as a piece that you want to sign to a five- or a six-year contract, then I'm totally fine with making a trade for him. I guess the, the only thing is, is that if you're giving up a first and a third for him... You don't have a lot more bu- a lot more bullets to 
expend on getting a forward, right? Like you're kind of running out of, and, and Gavrikov's cap hit right now is a, two point eight. around 2.8. Yeah, so that's pretty easy to fit in. And you could even get Columbus to retain on that. So I don't think that the cap ramifications, but if you're giving up your first round pick, it's probably going to be pretty hard to find the assets to get a really impact forward as well. So that's what they're going to have to weigh is that is it more important for them? I don't think they're going to be able to get, say, Gavrikov and like a really good top six forward. Like that just seems unrealistic. No, it feels like if you're getting Gavrikov, maybe the forward you're getting is in like the Max Domi category where it's like- I don't like Max Domi. I don't don't either. But but, so I I think what's interesting about that, James, is you look back to, and I don't think this is quite the same thing because he's not as good. But it's like Boston makes that trade for Hampus Lindholm last year, and then they mm. sign him, and then it's like it's He's okay, so right? It's like it's yeah. kind of okay that they paid that price because it's like they're just well, keeping him, and Lindholm is is obviously a lot it's more than, than okay, Gavrikov. Jonas. He's been fantastic. Like it yeah, he's kind really of like good. changes. Like if they didn't have, I think one of the concerns with Boston was like they just didn't have enough horses, and then so the the trade for Lindholm was last March, and, and the deal was. Uh, for John Moore, which was a salary dump, uh, a, a prospect, a first round pick, and a second round and two second round picks. So, um, most of the trade was I'm, I'm not sure on this prospect. I can't even pronounce his name. But basically, like they gave up a lot to get Lindholm. It, yeah. So the prospect they traded was a first round pick, a defenseman as well, and he's he's currently playing for Anaheim right now. So they gave up like a decent prospect of first and two second round picks. Like it it was a lot. But Lindholm's a really good player. It's been interesting watching him. You get him out of a situation in Anaheim where the team's a disaster and you put him with Boston and he looks fantastic. Like when you watch the Bruins, like, you know, he's he's having a career year offensively. He's so good defensively. And they locked him up. With, I think he got like a seven-year deal, right? He did for, for big money. Yeah. And it looks it looks fantastic on them right now because that's the kind of move that could keep Boston potentially as a contender for – extend their window for a lot longer than people were expecting. Yeah. And James, they did the same thing with Taylor Hall. Like they trade for Taylor Hall and they signed Taylor Hall and it's like, mm-hmm. no, they have Taylor Hall. Um, people want to be there, right? Like, I mean, not that people don't want to be in Toronto, but like Boston's like, you know, people play there and they like the environment and they like the city. And Lindholm's deal was uh, eight years, 6.5. Yeah. Big one. But and it's like James now, like I'm just thinking ahead, like let's say you traded for Gavrikov and you signed him. Suddenly, like I'm just picturing what their defense could look like next year. It could be like Riley Brody, Gavrikov, Lilligren, Giordano, Sandine. And obviously yeah. that doesn't include Justin Hall, who's a UFA, and we'll see what happens with him. But it's like that's that's pretty good. And suddenly, like you're kind of insulated without Jake Muzzin. You've basically replaced him. But it's just like that's a big price. Like do you where do you stand on this? The first round pick. I think we touched on this before, but that's got to be they, in play, right? I think they should trade the first round pick. Yeah, okay. but they didn't last year, you know. And who knows for sure? But you know, there's there's some well, no, thought they, they did. They did end up trading it. I guess not at the deadline, is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, they. I mean, they traded back in the draft with. I mean, Fraser Mitten, who they drafted. I mean, they. I, I to me, that's not trading your first round pick. Yeah, you just move, but move back. Like fair. Um, there's there's some thought around the league that maybe there's reluctance for the Leafs to trade another first round pick after all the ones that they've traded in the past. So yeah, I, I think that's but I don't, crazy. I don't agree with that. I don't. I I think this is this is a year where. 
you need, I mean, you, you're, you're going to run into Boston in the second round if, if you somehow get out of the first round. Yes. So this is well, not I, the time, not the time to be, be gun shy. And I know the prospect pool is, is somewhat thin and everything, but it, it doesn't, I mean, this is, this, this is year time, more right? than the other, yeah, this year more than the other years is the time to move that pick. And you look at what they have in the prospect pool. It's not like, I think I would hold on to Nyes and I would trade the first round pick because Nyes is closer to being something that's going to help you in the window that you need help. Yeah, and I think you also have to consider like the timeline of your group. Like John Tavares is thirty-two. Yes. Like TJ yeah. Brody is thirty. When is TJ Brody? Thirty-two, I think. Yeah, thirty-two. You know what I mean? Like you, you're well, in. Your time is let, now. Matthew's contract. I mean, yeah. do you, do you think you? Tr- I mean, considering that, do you potentially trade Nyes then? I mean, I maybe it depends on what the deal is. I I would like to hang on to him, but Cloak um, and I have had this conversation, and and Cloak we we've disagreed. I would. I would consider it for sure. It, it would obviously especially, have to be quite the player, but yeah. yeah. Especially if it's a kind of like a Lindholm situation where you're getting someone for that you can sign for seven or eight years that's going to be, yeah. you know, if they identify Gavrikov as the Justin Hall replacement and as an upgrade and they, they like what his next contract looks like, then that's going to cost you a lot, you know, regardless however you try and find that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're not you're not doing it for you're not trading uh nice for like a guy you're not gonna sign like a rental, but if it's like no. if it's someone like that, like yeah, like you you kinda this is it. And like I think you made a really good point about it's not just Tampa you potentially have to beat, it's Boston. And then it's like well and then it's whoever the year has you, to be about more than getting out of the first round, right? So if yes. if the goal is to go on a deep run and potentially win a Stanley Cup, you have to match up with Boston. So yeah. I don't think you can do that without, and, 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 and we'll, we'll see what, I think Boston's pretty tight to the cap. I think they have a little bit of room, but they also have Krejci. He's got a whole bunch of bonuses and stuff. So they need to be careful not to go. They're in, they're in the LTIR. I haven't looked at their cap situation that closely, but you know, I know Tampa's got a little bit of space. Uh, Pierre Lebrun had a story on our site about, you know, the lightning are going to try and make some moves as well. Like, Remember last year, like, uh, you know, other teams like we're adding all around them and you kind of, it's almost like you got to keep up with the Joneses, especially yeah. there's so many teams that are sellers this year. Like, so I, I think what the Leafs should probably do is decide one, either you're trading your first pit round pick or you're trading nines. I think one or the other, right? I yeah. don't think it makes any sense to hang on to both of those assets. Yeah. And that's a great point. I, Pierre was actually at the rink on whatever Wednesday morning and him, CJ and I were talking about Tampa and... You just think to some of the, like the, the the great trades Tampa's made at, at past deadlines, and it's like you, they're probably going to do something similar again. And they're already pretty good. And Boston's obviously really good. And, and Boston's like Boston feels a little deeper than the Leafs to me. Like the bottom of their lineup, I like a little bit better. I think that's an area that the Leafs are kind of could use a little bit of an upgrade. I, like Zach Aston Reese is my guy. I I like him, but he's kind of fallen off a bit. You don't know what you're getting with some of those other guys, like. They could probably use a little bit more there. Did you see my guy Matt Nieto got traded? I was very he was a guy I yeah. just like Matt Nieto and back to Colorado. I don't think his stock is particularly high right now. That was not a that was not a blockbuster of a deal. But maybe that's maybe he's that's a the good start depth of, guy, man. Like, but anyway. Maybe maybe that's the start of trade deadline frenzy beginning. Uh okay, before we get to the pod bag, um, we should talk briefly about Matthews and Marner getting back together. I don't know at that it's the, at the All Star game. Yeah, that too. Um, 
I think you had mentioned the last time we talked about this because I, I think I wrote about it like a week ago or maybe a week and a half ago. Um, I think you were on the side of that they should stay apart. And I'm still kind of on that side. I still don't know that. I, I think this is something Sheldon Keefe wanted to do eventually to get them back together. But I still kind of actually prefer the way it was. What about you? Dom had, did you see Dom's story today? His column today, he wrote about kind of how he he basically had that Nylander was one of the, the top five players in the league in, in shot creation, which is it's either shots from himself or shot assist, which means you make a pass that creates a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and Matthews is also top five. And he pointed out that what's really interesting about when Matthews and Nylander play together is they generate those that shot creation in much different ways. Uh, Matthews is obviously really strong at stripping the puck and playing on the cycle and generating his uh, his creating his shot opportunities that way. Whereas uh, Nealander is really good on the rush, and he kind of pointed out that it's hard for teams to defend them playing together, given how differently they play. That's so I encourage people encourage people to read that story. I'm glad he pointed that out. I wrote about them a, a few weeks ago, and just that was one of the things that uh, that stood out to me is just. Nealander kind of unlocks something a little bit different in Matthews just because he is such a threat to shoot. And he's like, he, Matthews was creating so many opportunities for Nealander, which is like, you, you kind of yeah. think like, that's weird. Like Matthews is the best shooter alive. But like, I don't know. There's just a different dynamic. And, and Keith made the point that that's what's changed this year with the two pairings is like Nealander has, has taken a big step this year. And I think that's true. And I think what's happened recently that's been really interesting to me is Man, like the last couple of games from Tavares, that that might be, and I was thinking about this this morning, and I don't know if this is just like recency bias, that kind of feels like the best he's looked maybe since that first year in Toronto. I don't know if that's just like, again, just what that's I've seen what recently. Said, but he right? looks like great. That was his best game best game of the year, right? Yeah, that, his best period of the year. But I just, I just mm. was thinking of these last two games. I don't, I don't know that he's looked that dangerous, especially in back-to-back games. That's something different, and, and obviously he's put in a lot of work with his skating. He's looked faster than he has in recent years. Like James, like the last two games, he has sixteen shots and twenty four attempts. Like that's mm-hmm. that's Matthews' quantity and quality. You so. know what's interesting? Interesting too is that Matthews is on pace for a career high in assists. His goals are obviously I know that. down, but but yeah. yeah. But to your point, he's on pace for I think it's forty eight assists in. He missed two games, right? Forty eight assists in eighty games. So, well, and a lot of know, that was Neander. Like he was setting yeah. up Neander a lot, and and like he had gone on that. When I wrote about them, he had been since they had made the change to the point that I wrote that story. He was like first among all NHL forwards in five on five points, and he was. I think he was first, if I'm not mistaken, in assists and primary assists. Like he was just Matthews. Matthews. It was, yeah. and so it's like I don't know, and 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 just watching them back together that that New York game, it, it still feels a little bit like it did early in the year where it feels a little bit stale. And one of the things I was thinking about it that I don't like about putting them back together, and again, they can change this back. You mean Matthews and Marner together, just to yeah. clarify. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, thank you. Is I like that option that he kind of had in, in the middle of games where if they were a little bit flat, that that was something he could turn to to kind of shake them up a little bit. Because one thing you notice when they would do that Remember in that Boston game, they did it in that New York game, is it seemed to really energize Marner when they would do it in the middle of a game? 
And I was thinking like, remember Taves and Kane, how they would play them apart and they always had this like break, and, break glass in case of emergency thing. Yep. Pittsburgh used to do it a bit with sometimes with Malkin yeah, and Crosby. Exactly. They, they would Good put call. them together. Good call. Yeah. And that's what I kind of don't like about it is you kind of take that possibility away uh, as something to really get the team going. So I, I kind of like it the other way. It had gone flat for both combinations recently, so there's that. But anyway, I'll be curious to see if this kind of lasts and how long he gives it. Because like early in that game against the Rangers, it wasn't going great. And, and Masters came over to me in the press box. He's like, should they change it back? And it's like, well, I can't really change it back this quick. But anyway, that's all I have to say. I just I, I I've said my piece on this in the past, but I just like watching Matthews and Nylander play Me together. Too. So maybe that that's maybe that's part of my body. Like it's just they're just interesting to watch play together. It's like yeah. unpredictable. Unpredictable. That's exactly the word. Yeah. I haven't dug into the numbers to see. It'd be oh. interesting to the numbers support the that combination easily compared this year. compared to what like what about compared to last year when Matthews and Marner were like unbelievable I looked at this in the story so the the numbers the offensive numbers were very similar when I looked at it defensively they're just way better with Marner which is not surprising and that's yeah. one of the the things that that is interesting about this is you saw in that game against the Rangers when he had Marner back with Matthews and Bunting is what did he do he matched them up against the Rangers top line and that's not something he would have done when Neilander is there, you know what I mean. So it yeah. changes the matchup dynamic a little bit. It takes that pressure off Tavares. So like, there's good and bad of the combinations. Well, yeah, and and it it's you know Matthews is getting more offensive zone starts when he plays with Neilander, and yep. Tavares is getting more defensive zone starts, and they're relying on him to win draws. And it's 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 interesting because that hasn't. Matthews has been more the defensive horse that Keith has tried to rely yeah. on in previous years, so that's a bit of a change. And it's interesting that Tavares has been up to the task largely, or at least more than I think I probably would have expected. Yeah, and Yarncroft helps with that. Marner helps with that. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, let's take a break, and then let's get into the pod bag. All right, James, it is pod bag time. Reminder, as always to eat some of your local takeout in local restaurants, local businesses. Um, we had some good takeout the other day. And I I do want to do this again, James, like I did last week. I want to highlight some of the good leaf stories that we've had. I mentioned Cloak's story on Curtis Sanford, which you should check out. Uh, Fitzy had a story on Mitch Marner on the penalty kill, which was really good. I like Mitch Marner on the penalty kill is just like, he's just a menace. Uh, and then Cloak also had something on why everybody wears their numbers. And I thought the best answer was like, did you see, did you read that? Uh, Lilligren, yep. his answer was just like, I don't, I don't have any reason why I wear this number. They just gave it to me. I took it and I don't care basically. Well, I mean, that's the case for quite a few guys around that. Like some guys just don't care. And then some guys are like very particular about the number that they have and they try really hard to, they're superstitious about it. So. Yes. I thought the best answer, wasn't it Jordy Ben said he wanted to wear 19 yeah. just because he would steal Jason Spezza's number? That was, that was his goal? Yeah, and Tavares' answer was good. Like, he had he was initially like a 19 early, very early in his career because you remember 19 was like kind of like Iserman. Yeah. And guys like that. Exactly. Sackick. And yeah. then one of his teammates. Anyway, go read the story. And by the way, my story on John Tavares, who's approaching uh, a thousand games, is out today. Uh, it's a fun little story on him so what's a thousand games sunday for him sunday yeah yeah 
pretty amazing, eh? Like it's, I guess you know he's in the league at such a young age that I, me- I remember covering his him in his very first season. I remember sitting in the Air Canada Center in the stands, uh, interviewing Garth Snow, who was the GM Jesus. at the time, and it was it was it was Tavares's, and it was like the morning skate, and I was sitting with Garth Snow in the in the stands watching Tavares like do like the morning skate and and doing a story about it. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that. Like I had a flashback to that press conference with Brian Burke where he's like, we're going to trade for, for John Tavares. We're going to trade for the first pick. Remember that? And I remember that I remember writing about Tavares's first, it was his first game in Toronto as an NHL player. And it was, people were writing about, you know, is he, is he fast enough? And like, you know, I think his rookie season, I don't think the Islanders were very good, obviously. And I think it was a bit of a struggle and he was, a, he was a kid. And, um, I remember that I think Garth Snow was kind of like defending him at that point and look at the career that he's had from then. So, um, a lot of pressure on, on guys coming into the league at that age, especially on some of these franchises that are on, on tough times. And, well, and, and James, um, like he was like a super duper prospect. Like he was, yeah, he was so highly hyped. And it's interesting. Yeah. Like I got to talk to Jason. Well, he Spe- was like the second coming of Crosby, basically. Is what the yes, way he was talked about. Yes. Yeah. Um. And and it's interesting. Like I got to talk to Spezza for that story on Tavares. And one of the things that that was interesting with him is he said like very early in his career, he he started training with Spezza like when he was really young. And Tavares was like super, 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 super serious, like very dialed in. And he said one of the things that's kind of changed over the years is he's learned to kind of have a little bit more balance. And I think it's interesting, like you you think of these guys as finished products and they're just always kind of changing and evolving. And I don't know. It, it, it oh, is, well, you change a lot as a person between yeah. the ages of, you know, 19 and 33 or what is he, 32 this year? 32, you know, yeah. You you evolve a lot, so I, I thought it was funny your story. The the um, wait, let me let me. The, your headline is like it basically says like John Tavares's friends say he's not just a hockey robot or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and then I don't know if you looked at this, but the very first comment on the story says that all sounds like things a robot would do to blend into <laughs> <the> society. <laughs> That's very. <laughs> <funny. laughs> I saw that 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 comment was kudos. Shout out to. Uh, Andrew for that comment because that was on there like I saw my kids were up at like some ungodly hour this morning so I saw that comment at like 6 a.m. right when the story was like one of the first things and I just laughed so I haven't even had a chance to read the whole story yet but there's some funny um, stuff we've had we've had great Leafs coverage the last little while so you know if you haven't subscribed yet um, check it out because now that Josh is back from the uh the World Cup and back on hockey instead of soccer and, and, you know, Sean Fitzgerald and Haley Salvian and lots of other people have been contributing to our Leafs coverage. There's lots of good stuff there. 100%. All right. Is it my time to shine? It's your time to shine. You can take over. The mic is yours. Oh, man. Doesn't it, isn't this where everything falls apart normally on the podcast? Last, or a couple weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was only one time. It's not every time. So maybe I'll... Maybe I'll be okay. Um, Nick wants to know, who do we think, which Leafs players have the biggest drop-off in their play when they play teams lower in the standings? Feels like that's been, that was a thing early on this year, but it's been less of a thing of late, I think. Yeah, they didn't have a great game in Montreal. Um, That Detroit game was... They were tired, I think, in that game. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, you're right. It, it, that was a, like a really early season thing and something that they've struggled with in the past. And like, honestly, that the October hurts them still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're still in a battle to get home ice in the first round. I mean, look how good they've been since that stretch. And it's been hard to solidify position even still. I was thinking, James, like I know we touched on like the playoff system last week, so I don't want to delve too deep into it. But like even just like that, you, you're the chances of getting like a Rangers Leafs first round series are just like non-existent. Like that would be fun. And it's just like, it'd be a great, it would be a great series. I mean, we almost got it in 2013. Like everyone was up in the, press Oh yeah. Booking, I was ready to book York my flight. Yeah. 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 I had a nice hotel book. Well, and James <laughs> to that point, if it was one to eight right now, the Leafs would play the Rangers. Yeah. I think it would, they would be three versus six. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and these would be, be the matchups. Just, series. Like, I think it? I'd probably rather see that series than another Tampa series right now. Right? Like, it would be fun. So these would be the matchups. It would be Boston, Washington, Carolina, Pittsburgh would be great. Toronto, New York, and then Jersey, Tampa would be exciting. Mm. Yeah, that would be good. Anyway. But you wouldn't get the rivalry game of Tampa Bay, Toronto, that good old regional <laughs> rival. <laughs> Come on. I, I'm interested that Buffalo is making a push. I was just going to gonna say, they're the, ninth. As the eighth team. Well, they've been winning a ton. Yeah, that Uko Bekalukanen, my guy. Well, Craig Anderson at 41 years old has been unbelievable. They're yeah. kind of just playing him once a week. And he's been, like, look at Craig Anderson's numbers. They're incredible. What is he, 42? I think he's 41, maybe 42. He's 41, you're right. Old man. Getting it done in the but I, uh, Buffalo would be such a fun, a fun story if they can make it with Tage Thompson. They're they're fun to watch too. They like are fun to watch. Are, yeah. Well, it turns out like drafting really high gets you some fun, <laughs> interesting prospects like Jack Quinn what? and like Cousins is well, really Darlene. good and Darlene is obviously a first overall pick. Yeah. Owen Power. Oh, you can see Owen Power like he's he's obviously very young in his career, but he's going to be so good. He is a monster. He's yeah. Oh, he's going to be like a headman. Once he figures out everything. We didn't answer the question. Nick's question was, which Leafs players have the biggest drop-off when they play teams lower in the standings? Do you have anyone? Nah, I mean, I think it's... I guess it, you'd probably just say the, the top guys, is right? stars, yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Here's a difficult question. I'll just throw it to you and let you drown with it. Okay. Cody wants to know, if you could be Kyle Dubas for the rest of the year, what move do you make? Or what moves do you make? <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know. I would just, I'd go big. I Like, I, I wouldn't do this little tinkering around the edges. I would try to make, like, a, a move that's going to make a difference. Like, I was just thinking, this is not, this is very unlikely that they trade for, let's say, Patrick Kane. But I was just thinking, like, how many goals in a playoff series is Patrick Kane worth? And what does that yeah. mean for your prospects in a playoff yeah. run? You know what I mean? Like, he, he would be worth, how many points does he put up in a playoff series? Six, seven, eight, nine? Like, that's a lot of, like, added juice. I don't know how... I don't know how you make it fit, but three ways, I guess. Yeah. Which costs, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like you want something that's actually going how to much, pay off. Yeah. How much actual salary is on Patrick Kane's deal? Cause like that impacts, like when you do, you're talking about the three way trade, you're doing like a double retention. Let's if there's not see. a lot of salary on the deal, then the, the team that's just retaining, like, Sometimes with those contracts, it's it's all bonuses that are being. Yeah, huh, so you're right. Six point nine is his salary this year. 
Yeah, but and and the signing bonus is four million of that, so that's already been paid. So there's only two point nine million in base yeah, salary. Good call. So divide two point nine by four. So you're looking at it's only like seven hundred thousand dollars, right? So like the team that's that's doing the the double retention, like they did it with Felino, where San Jose ate a quarter of the contract, or or was it even a half of a contract? You know the the team that's doing the double retention is not a lot of actual money that they have to put on the table to do that. So yeah, good call. Anyway, it's um, so so if you get let's say let let's say it's Kane and I, I you know I, there's a lot of teams that have been rumored for Kane and I don't know that the Leafs are at the top of the list, but it, it would certainly be interesting. So let's say they trade Chicago trades him to San Jose, San Jose retains half. Yep. Or oh no, sorry, Chicago retains half in the trade to San Jose, and then San Jose only has to retain another quarter. It's only really like around seven hundred thousand dollars in cash. It's like they don't care about the cap hit. So what do you have to give up to San Jose to retain that level, that amount of money? You know, like a it's like a third round, round pick, pick, fourth round pick. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a fourth round pick in the Felino deal, and Felino might have had more cash on his contract than than Kane even does. So, um, so then you got to fit in Kane's deal is ten million a year, right? So you got to fit in the ten point five. Ten point five. Yeah. Uh, you got to fit in. You know, two point. There's <laughs> too, too much math. <laughs> you're good I, at I this. Though. This caffeine. is like your. I need more caffeine to do this. But you know, it's at two point six two five or whatever. You got to fit in, and then you probably have a little bit of room to bring in a defenseman. And then if you like a uh, Jake McCabe or a, a Gavrikov or, or or something like that, and the other team retains half of it, it might. I, I, I this sounds like an article. This is not Hi, a podcast. James, are, I like it. You got to write this. Th- yeah, well, I should maybe I can just go back and transcribe what I just said, and just hit <laughs> publish, and put it on the site. I don't know if that would be that. But so but did, anyway, yeah, go ahead. That, like, there's there's a world where like they can be really aggressive and do something like that. They sort of tried to do it in the year when they got Foligno, but I they kind of whiffed on. They kind of tried too many things. Like they tried to add a goalie and 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 add Ben Hutton and add Foligno, and what else? They added someone else too. Right? David Riddick. It was just like. Riley Nash, I think yeah, they added. They did. Yeah. Like they kind of like just get two really good pieces instead of like doing all. And then potentially you could have Matthew Nyes come in, and I don't know how you make all this fit on the roster. You're probably going to have to like move someone out or or put someone on waivers or something to make it work. But um, you know, if the casualty is like you said, like a Zach Aston Reese or someone like that, then I think you're okay with it. Well, and, and two points on that, James. One one of the things that I didn't like about the Felino trade, and I, I was not many people didn't like it, and I was one of them. I remember Dom and I were like united in that. Is like there was you weren't what he was going to give you was more intangible than tangible. And with someone like Kane, it's like you you're gonna get offense. Like he is going to produce in the playoffs in a playoff series, which potentially helps you win that playoff series. The other thing I was going to ask you just to tie this back to what we were talking before. Let's say you get in a conversation with Chicago and they, and they say, you know, we'll, we'll do it and we'll we'll let we'll even front the cost. We'll pay that third round pick to San Jose, but we want Matthew Nice. Mm. What do you do? Yeah, and I mean, you, you know, with the conversations with uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury and the yeah, trade good, deadline last good year. Call. With Chicago, I believe Matthew Nye's name was. Yeah, it was. It was well, in the conversation. Yeah. So we know that Chicago likes him. So yeah. Well, and part of that conversation, which would be different in this case, is like Brandon Hagel is also going to be in that deal reportedly, and he was mm. signed another year, I think. But if, maybe if there's a way to get McCabe and Kane or something. Yeah. 
then you're like, yeah, I guess we got to do this. Yeah. Good call. Now, now people are going to be listening to this show and be like, oh, they're getting, <laughs> they're, they're getting all these guys. I guess and, the point is though, that they, they shouldn't, all these possibilities should be in the mix for them and they shouldn't just think like, let's just try to nibble and like, let's, you know what I mean? Like, get- I don't think they're going to, but I, I, but the other thing is it's going to be competitive with the other contenders trying to also get some of these same players. Yeah. If I think if they get McCabe, he's got to wear a 24 so that it's it just, <laughs> it just feels right. Give him an A and well, on the power play. One thing to like about him is like, he's got some edge. Like he's not a, and which is kind of the point of this. And he's I actually pretty don't, big. I don't, I'm not that familiar with him, to be honest. Like, I have not been watching the Blackhawks a lot recently. Well, I mean, I you would him probably Buffalo, remember him as Buffalo, yeah. Yeah, but I don't remember him, like, really standing out that much. Well, wow, those teams were really bad. Yeah. As I'm sure you recall. Uh, there's some good questions. I mean, we've got, we got tons of questions. We've only gotten through, like, two. So, um, this one's really long, but I think it's probably worth us discussing. Maybe we'll just try not to get bogged down on spending too much time on the answer, although that's going to be hard. Uh, Matt says, asks, do you think it's realistic for Matthews, Marner, and to a lesser extent, Nylander, take a little bit less on the table with their next contract to allow management to sign and keep more impact players? They all seem to max out their second contracts. It ended up costing the Leafs. Zach Hyman, how great would their top six be if they still had him in the fold? Uh, it's a long, long question. He says, "I, you know, I expect Tavares is going to get a, a, a friendly extension when his his deal is up, which I think is probably accurate." Um, I don't know. I I think that if you want to keep Matthews and Marner and Nylander, you're going to have to pay them all. Like it, I think that's just and the thing to keep in mind too is that the cap's going to go up, and it's you know the latest I've heard is it could it could be it's not going to go up this summer, not much, but you know uh, the following summer it could be up like another eight or nine million dollars and. I think you're going to have to earmark a lot of that for raises for these guys. Yeah, and and I know like the perception at the time was Dealander pushed it, but now he's basically underpaid. Yeah, he's and, like underpaid. he's, he's going to want yeah. to be paid. Like they're all going to yeah. get more, right? And Matthews will probably be the highest paid player in the league when his next deal comes up. He he will be, yeah. And that's even with you know like Pasternak's contracts coming in Boston, and so you know Matt says. Uh, but man, he, James, he expects. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, he he, he says Matthews is going to be the first domino domino to fall, so he'll set the precedent. Uh, I think management will sign him no matter what, and I'm all for it. I'm just hoping he will sign for maybe, you know. And he, I just, I yeah. think Matthews is going to get get a massive, massive contract. I so do too. My my guess is that he doesn't sign for the full eight years, but he still gets a pretty high cap hit, and the Leafs are glad to sign that deal. Yeah, I was going to say, James, like one change in perspective or the way I look at things it has changed with contracts and the Hyman one being the one I mentioned this to you a while ago, and I think we might have even discussed it is like, I, I think I've been a little too precious with contracts, like every contract has to be perfect. And sometimes like you just have to keep the player who's important to well, your team. And like, like Hyman right now is, um, you know, He's been awesome. He's like, for like a hundred points. Yeah. And like he was one of their guys and like he's so important. And five and a half, like it's a long deal, but even like you're right in your window. If I, if I was them and I had a chance to go and do something over, that would be the thing. Well, and, and I think the Leafs, the, I don't know exactly, but the cap hit number was going to be lower because they were going to do eight years, right? So it wasn't going to be five and a half. It was going to be, yeah. I don't know what the number is, 4.7 or something like that. So, 
Well, and as you um, pointed out to me, is like he just keeps getting better and better and better. And uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman had a story with him where he answered some subscriber questions. And that was one of the things that he brought up is like, that's kind of been his thing all of his career where every year he just tries to get better and a little better and a little better. And it's like, He's man. He's just a smart person who works his ass off. So you combine those two. Like he just, yeah. all of his lifestyle habits are fantastic. And he's very almost like studious about how he gets better too. What was yeah, it? I mean, it's, yeah. right. So uh, let, let's just like wrap up this question. But like, I think if you can, you keep Nylander and Matthews and Marner because it extends your window. If you have that as your core to build around, yeah. even if you're paying those guys another, I mean, how much more are they going to have to pay them? I mean, they're probably going to have to pay them another eight or nine million, right? Like that, the whole amount the cap goes up probably goes to those guys. Yeah. And Dom um, and I had this conversation actually, and he pointed this out to me is like, you're going to end up being, you're going to end up paying Tavares less hypothetically in this world. So you're almost yeah. going to be paying those four guys the same chunk of the cap as you were before. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Although, I mean, yeah. Although Tavares is going to be 35 or whatever, right? Yeah. So. But like his next contract, well, Dom had a number that's probably even high for what his next contract will be. Like who knows what that'll well, be. Yeah, I mean, he might go. I don't think he's going to go full Giordano, but you could see Tavares, you know, just signs like a long contract for. Yeah, I, who knows what the number is going to be? It's going to depend what how well he plays. I mean, he's still got two years left, right? So yeah. it feels like not that long ago that Tavares signed a seven year contract, and we're already talking about his yeah. next contract. <laughs> Time flies, James. What the, what is going on here? My one of my kids has an eighth birthday coming up. Eight, isn't that incredible? That is incredible. Man. Uh, all right. What's next? Uh, Curtis wants to know what role impact do you think Jason Spezza has at the trade deadline? There's actually a couple of Jason Spezza questions. Do you have a sense of, you know, having been around the team and been on the road a little bit and whatever, do you have a sense of what Spezza's role has been at all? It might, I am going to save that, James. If you look in our planning yeah. document, I will save those thoughts for something. I did not look at the Stay tuned. Document. Yeah. But anyway, there's lots of questions about that. It seems like he's very much in the inner circle in terms of, like, he's always around Pridham and, and Dubas. And the Leafs have such a big front office with so many people that um, I think that, I think the fact that you see Spezza in that inner orbit all the time sort of speaks to, like, he's a future assistant GM and maybe even GM one day of, of this team. So it's it's interesting that, and he's a guy that could probably still be on the ice helping the team this year. It's interesting that he's he's jumped in and made the transition. Yeah, right he now. basically decided he didn't want the, to not be in the lineup every night. Yeah, like you see what's happening he, with he, Wayne Simmons. He basically didn't want that. I think that would. I think they probably said to him, "It's that's probably where how things would line up for you if he came back." Uh, <laughs> I like this question. Roland says, uh, given that Samsonov has a better home record and Murray has a better road record, would it be outlandish in the playoff series to just split them and play Samsonov at home and Murray on the road? Can you imagine? That would be so weird. And imagine it worked. I don't know what to make of any of that stuff. Do you? Well, I think it's, I still think it's some small sample size, weird voodoo stuff. Yeah, but, I do too. You know, Keith said that like the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a thing. And then the more it's like in the goalie's head and like. You know, you want both your goalies to feel comfortable at home and on the road and everything like that. So I think they need to be careful not to play them too much in. I think you want to just like keep keep playing them maybe in the opposite situations a little bit. Yeah, I think you kind of want to dispel some of this stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I I love that idea though. Like imagine imagine it was just some like freak weird thing that and and they did it in the playoffs and it just kept working. <clears throat> Probably never happened um, before. I would think. I don't th- I don't I don't think I've ever seen this happen in a Leaf season where one goalie is winning all the home games and one goalie is winning all the road games. Like that's just well, if you look know. at the, the the historical thing, I think it's like he's, I can pull it up. He's like the fourth, uh, what is it? So this is from the Leafs. Per NHL stats, Samsonov became the fourth goalie in Leafs history to record a 15-game home point streak at any point in a season. Joining mm-hmm. Harry Lumley, you know him, George Hainsworth, of course, and Jacques Plante. Good old Jacques. Jacques Plante played for the Leafs when he was like 40 and had <laughs> I think he had like two incredible seasons. By the way, did you see any of that uh, Harold Ballard documentary? No. Is it good? I caught parts of it. It's yeah, it's pretty good. There's some good stuff. I, in I there. should wa- I should watch that. That's one of the things is that I'm the historical side of the Leafs. Even though I've covered the team for 14 years or whatever, it's I'm still learning some of that. And I've you know, if someone who grew up in Western Canada, I wasn't fully aware of all of like the history and everything of what happened in the. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The crazy, so. craziest stuff, maybe not the craziest, but one of the crazier things is that stuff with that happened with Roger Nielsen. Do you remember this? Like with the paper yes. bag and it's like, oh my God, yes. what is what is happening here? Yes. Can you imagine now if stuff like that was going on? Right? I mean, you look well, at what's happening Boudreau. in Vancouver with me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Boy, what a disaster. Speaking like that's my hometown team. And like I hear from my family members all the time. They're just like embarrassed to be fans of the team. Yeah, that was so bad. And did you see Tockett called them out after second game? Well, they were brutal last night. Brutal. At one point, the scoring chances were 22-2. to two. It's not good. For the other team, not for Vancouver. For the Kraken. The Vancouver should tank. I mean, they got Bedard's a hometown kid. They should just, I, Vancouver's got to just like, they should just trade a bunch of guys and just pull it all down to nothing and be as bad as they can be. Yeah. Um, producer is yelling at us that we're running low on time. So I think we should, uh, we just ignore him. <laughs> Let's just go another half an hour. Well, he just wanted to remind you that Bruce Boudreaux, uh, will be on the athletic hockey show next Wednesday. Oh, fantastic. There you go. That's and, Yeah. And if you want to hear from Bruce Boudreaux, uh, Mike, Mike Russo, who writes for us, had a great story, uh, on, on Monday that I recommend checking out and, um, just a likable guy, and it kind of feels like the end of the road for his career. And remember, the Leafs were looking at him as an assistant coach there for like quite seriously at one point. Character. Uh, da, 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 da. John wants to know: Can the Leafs trade for Timo Meyer and manage the ten million RFA hit next year? Maybe get him on a longer term contract for less money, or is this not feasible given the surgery required? If they lose in the first round again, perhaps it will be conducted anyway. Timo Meyer, he's got a his deal is structured weird with the qualifying offer is ten million dollars for him. I think that if you traded for Timo Meyer, yeah, you would have to negotiate a long term deal extension that you were signing. But I don't know how much lower it's going to be than ten million. He's an incredible player. Like he he's been he's lost out in San Jose, but last year and this year he's been fantastic. So um, yeah, I just don't see how you'd fit that deal in moving well, forward like, can you fit another eight and a half nine million dollar i mean you'd have to move something really substantial off your roster i have i haven't done the the math on it but i think it'd be awfully hard to fit in but he would he would look fantastic on this team that's for sure 
Uh, Brendan wants to know, what games do you watch games differently compared to when you started covering hockey or before you were a reporter? What do you look for now that you didn't before? Uh, do you watch the games differently when you're off the clock? I'll let you answer this. I, you, you, in the press box, you watch the game kind of very meticulously and you take notes the whole time and it looks like hieroglyphics in your notebook <laughs> by the end of the night because I don't know what the hell any of that stuff says, but you know, you're almost like a, you, you remind me of like a university student, like taking lecture notes or something while the game goes on every night. I just can't remember if I don't write it down. So I just like want to remind myself of every little thing I see and times when it happens. But I will say, James, like one thing I do differently now is that I've been watching a lot of bad teams just to kind of watch some of the guys that could be traded. So that's something I do probably a lot differently now. Like I'm almost watching as like scouting it, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like yep. I'm watching yep. San Jose, Boston a few days ago just to watch some of their fourth liners and, and watch Meyer and, and it's just different for me that way. Like I am watching with intent with a lot of these games. Yep. I find, well, for me now, the role that, that I have where I'm overseeing, you know, the NHL coverage at the company, I, I feel like I can't ever watch and be off the clock because no matter what's happening, it's like one of the teams that, you know, I was watching that Boudreaux stuff and it's like, you know, what story are we doing on this? And so it's been kind of interesting. This is, this, last year was a bit like this, but this year for sure, I've been less Leafs focused in what I've been watching and paying attention to. And it, it, as you know, I've been less involved in like our Leafs coverage. Um, it's been interesting, like getting, when I was at the newspaper, we were national paper and we would pay attention to all of the Canadian teams a lot. And I remember the playoffs would come and the Leafs would always miss the playoffs and I would just get sent to like, go cover the New Jersey Devils <laughs> yeah. in like the third, third round of the, and it was really, really interesting. Um, yeah. You know, what's hard about to, that. Like, I'm sure you remember this that way. It, it was hard jumping into a series where like, you don't know the team as intimately as you know, the team that you cover day to day. Yeah, like you just don't know his. You just don't know history stuff like throughout the year, like who played well with who and well, when and did they do this and like you're writing stories up against other reporters that like have covered them the whole way along or whatever. And like yeah. I used to get parachuted in for like the Cup final, and like it's you know you have to really hit the ground running, and yeah, it can be it can be a challenge. But I love you know I grew up like a massive massive hockey nerd, and I would watch like every team, and I used to play the NHL video games and like play with like all these different teams. I would play a season with like the Hartford Whalers or I mean, I'm, I'm dating myself like obscenely, but or you know that like, I don't know how much road hockey you played. I would play road hockey in the, like the spring and the summer, like every single day. And I remember I, I had this one buddy, his name was Graham McLaughlin, a, a shout out to Graham. We would play like every day and we would always pick like these obscure players and it would be like, I'm, I'm Robert Cron and I'm going for like the, the winning goal or whatever. Like we were just into like every team and it's, so this year, I think more than most, I've just been trying to watch the whole league, and I've really enjoyed it. I was sackic. Every time? Well, like, we liked, well, we liked Sackick and Forsberg, and then, like, Yager and Lemieux. I was like Lemieux. Anyway. Man, like, Sackick and Forsberg, just like an insane combination that they had. Jeez. Yeah, well, we... We had we had Sakic there the other day in the NHL ninety nine. We're down in, we're into the top ten. Ray Bork was today, so there's only there's only nine profiles left. So there's another thing people should check out on the site. Indeed, lots of good ones. Who would you put would you put Gretzky number one on your list? I mean, I'm kinda like I'm in the Mew camp a little bit. I you? mean Mario is one of my favorite players. I, I was one of the voters on this and I had 
<clears throat> I had Mario number two. So the Gretzky one. Yeah. You look at just Gretzky's accomplishments with everything. It's just completely insane what he did. Well, and it's just like relative to the rest of the league. He was just like, it was like he was playing peewee. Like he, like he was playing against kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Mario had some of that too. Though. Yes, he did. Yeah. I'm a little uh, more partial and, to Mario. And you got Bobby Orr too, right? Like how do you mix Bobby Orr in there? So it was not easy trying to come up with a list. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Mark wants to know, assuming they do add another left winger to the second line. What do you think the bottom six would look like in the playoffs with the players they have? It seems like both lines are solid, but can they have a clear identity? Uh, is it good or bad? What, 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 what do you think the third line looks like? If let's say they, they add someone and it bumps Yarncroft down. Well, I guess it would be Yarncroft, Kampf and Engvall, right? Okay. I think one, one thing that's really interesting right now is, is Alex Kerfoot's role is, is really shrunk and one of the things I was thinking I, I wrote in the summer after they got Yarncroc is like, would Yarncroc make Kerfoot expendable? And well, that's, that's slowly the starting to happen right now. Someone asked is like, given Kerfoot and Engvall are both UFA, do you think they should move one of them out to give them more cap space? I got to write a story about this cap stuff because there's a, there's lots of moving parts there. Well, and Kerfoot makes obviously more. He's three and a half. Like he played 11 minutes against the Rangers. He was on the fourth line. Like he's still important, but he's not. Yarncroc is kind of taken his his cake a little bit well so. and you, maybe you don't have to do a double retention if you move kerfoot out right yeah. so you know there's so um so okay so and then what would your four, fourth line be i mean maybe potentially nice is in the mix yeah aston reese on, on the fourth line uh yeah i guess holmberg's been fantastic yeah and then i guess in this if they don't trade him it would be kerfoot or like i'd like them to get someone else like i I just think they need one more guy who you could play in a playoff series. Like well, they're I, not, they're yeah. not adding a top four defenseman and a top six forward and another forward to the bottom six. Like, there's no way. I mean, you could add a guy who's making seven fifty. Why not seven seventy five? Like, I, I highlighted get, some guys. It's, it's just like you, what you are you up, you're have to put like three useful players on waivers or something to make all that fit on the roster. Mm, so, mm, so I'll do it. <laughs> anyway, all right, James, we got to wrap. Time All to right. go. Well, it was fun. We had lots to talk about. We did. That's why we went long. Apologies to the producer who's cursing right now that the show is an hour and 15 minutes long. Nah, he's a sweet fella. He's all good for us. So <laughs> the Leafs play Friday, Ottawa, Sunday, Washington. That Sunday, Washington game will be Tavares's 1,000th. And then a big game before the All-Star break for the Leafs, Boston on February 1st at home. So we will be talking Fantastic. after that, and we will have a special guest, one of our favorites, Mark H. Masters. Oh, he's committed? He is committed. He's on board. Been, been having a hard time lining up guests lately. Yeah. And if, if, if people want, there are certain guests that you want, make sure you drop a, a comment on the, uh, in the app, you can comment on the individual podcast episodes. I read all of your comments and appreciate them and thank everyone for being regular listeners because uh again our our listenership this year has been fantastic so go to the athletic.com slash leaf report if you haven't signed up for the athletic and that's it james thank you goodbye we'll talk next week you, you were right it was a big show yeah thanks nice see yeah sweet you nailed it yes okay goodbye <laughs>